good morning. Um, on the screen, you will see an outline of Romans, and that's what I'm working off today. Um, it's not in your worship guide, so if you want to take a pen out and uh, jot these down, that will kind of give you some markers of kind of how I'm working through the book of Romans. Um, can I just say that, um, first of all, thank you for praying for me last time I was uh, before you. I had a migraine headache, and you guys prayed for me, and God was very gracious and merciful, and so thank you for that. Um, today, we are continuing in our series of walking through the Bible and looking at God's mission and his plan and how that's developed through the scriptures and revealed to us. And today we are looking at the whole book of Romans. So let me just pray for us. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we are so thankful for your grace and mercy. Thankful for the cross, thankful that the fact that we are justified by faith and not by our works. That you have graciously provided a way for us to be reconciled to you and to be justified in your sight. So we are so thankful for that. God, help that good news of the gospel grip us today that we would live differently. God, thank you for the book of Romans. And sometimes, as hard as it is to wrestle with the intricacies of it, God, thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see with great clarity your gospel today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Martin Luther wrote about the book of Romans and he wrote this, this epistle is in truth the most important document in the New Testament. Now when you read that and you're preparing a sermon on the whole book of Romans, that kind of puts a little weight to it. The gospel in its purest expression, that's what the book of Romans is. Not only is it well worth a Christian's while to know it word for word by heart. There's something you can do this week. But also to meditate on it day by day. It is the soul's daily bread and can never be read too often or studied too much. The more you probe into it, the more precious it becomes and the better its flavor. So let me ask you. What's the flavor of Romans for you? What, what's your experience with the book of Romans? Is it a nice, easy, easy memorization of a few key scriptures in order to lead someone to salvation? Is that the depth of your understanding of the book of Romans? Is it, um, is it a little... A little hard to handle. Some, some big themes in the book of Romans. Things like predestination and election and things we don't like to mess with a lot. What is it? What's your experience with the book of Romans? 
the book of Romans, to me, has become the central piece of my life with Christ. It affects everything. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote it and sent it to the church at Rome. That this was his understanding of what we've been trying to do as a congregation. God's mission, his plan, what he's been up to and what he is doing and how we should live in light of that. So, I want us to approach this today with a sense of expectancy, a desire to understand what Martin Luther said was the most important document in the New Testament. Romans is fundamentally a book about God. And we have to keep that in our mind. If you look at the outline that I've prepared for you, it breaks it down. The gospel of God, the wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God, the will of God. It's all about God. And oftentimes we come to this book with eyes that want to read about who? Me. Now it has application to me, but this book is really fundamentally about God. And it's very easy to see throughout this letter, the word God occurs about 153 times. So about once every 46 words. So as we delve in, let's keep that on the forefront of our mind. And if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to open to the book of Romans. We are going to be, if you're a little tired, you've had a long weekend... A um, little groggy right now. You're going to have to move around. or If you, you want to get up, walk around a little bit, that's fine with me. Just do something because we're going to read a lot of scripture today. Okay? Lots of stuff getting ready to happen. So, with that said, let's look at how Paul introduces this letter. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. In this first little section, Paul makes it clear that God is the author of the gospel. This is the gospel of God, for he promised it beforehand. As we've been walking through the scriptures, we have seen God laying out this amazing plan pointing directly toward Christ. We've seen the prophets prophesy about it, and Jesus is the substance of this good news. God is the author. Jesus is the substance. It says in, Paul says that David's son, that Jesus is David's son by descendant and powerfully declared God's son by his resurrection. Paul's central thesis for this whole book comes to us in the first chapter in verses 16 and 17. 
When Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. This gospel, this gospel of God is mighty and merciful to save. It brings salvation through faith, And it is powerful enough to penetrate your soul and mine. And how does this gospel have this power? The the gospel of God has the power to save those who trust in Christ because it reveals the righteousness of God through the work of Christ. This is Paul's mission. When you see, he says that... um, Just a second. You see that it's not just for the Jews, but for the Greeks as well. And that God has revealed this. And Paul has taken this as his mission, not just, not just for his own sake, but to proclaim it to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. Much like we've heard from Lindsay and Janet today, this was the mission. Paul understood it. He was gripped by this and sent out. Now, this is great news. This is grand news. And the revelation of God's righteousness in the gospel is necessary because of the next thing. Paul spends this whole next section talking about the wrath of God. I think this is like the most unpopular section of the Bible. Nobody wants to hear about the wrath of God. Nobody wants, I mean, that doesn't lift up your day, right? It's like reading the front page of the newspaper. It's just not good news. In this section, Paul divides humanity into three groups. And he says of these three groups that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, suppose, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them For God made it evident to them. God has revealed these things from creation of the world. His invisible attributes, his eternal power has been all over the world. And so Paul says that none of us are without excuse. And he points to a depraved pagan society and he looks at that and he looks at the people there and he says these people are God-haters. And they invent evil. And he looks at the second group and he says, these people are moralists and they are planning on just living a moral life. And that's, that's, gonna, that's what they're all about. But they judge others by what they, what they do themselves. And the last group, Paul indicates that there are well-instructed Jews that have been well-instructed, but they're self-confident in the law and what they know. So... Paul concludes in Romans 3. What then? Are we better than they? Each group looking at one another? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. In order that, as verse verse 19 says, that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. So we're all sinners. We're all under the wrath of God. 
good news today. We have no righteousness that, could, that we can commend to God. We're accountable to him. And Paul says this, that because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He makes it plain that we are under the just wrath of God. We cannot do anything about it. We cannot work our way out of that. All humanity is sinful and guilty and has no excuse before God. And the weight of this should grip us. Paul starts his letter with this great gospel and he goes directly to the wrath of God. Why would he do that? I think to wake us up and for us to understand our need. We're in desperate need. Paul says this is, the, this is unrelenting darkness, unrelenting punishment. The hand of a holy God is upon you. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift. Don't miss that. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But now, some of my favorite words in all of the Bible right up there with Ephesians 2, but God. Okay, those things, you you just, you have to hold those. Because without that, without this turn, without the justification as a gift of grace by God into our lives, we're done. And this good news does not have its power unless we truly understand just how wretched we are. You see, this is God's righteousness revealed as a gift to us through faith. It's what we call justification. So Paul says in verse 24 that sinners who trust Christ are justified by his grace. The revelation of God's righteousness that makes the gospel the power of God unto salvation is the demonstration and the gift of God's righteousness to sinners who trust in Christ. And this is why Paul says, I am not ashamed. For this is the power of God unto salvation. This is the gospel that has gripped Paul and has flung him to the ends of the earth. And he writes in Romans 4 that this is the way it's always been. And he looks back to prove his case to the father of Israel, Abraham. And he looks that Abraham's not justified by works at all in verse 4. 
uh, four, five, or chapter 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. It's not Abraham's works or his circumcision, because circumcision comes after his faith, or even the law. And this is the message of the entire book of Romans. That this gospel... God's grace promises to sinners justification by faith in Christ's work. It is to justify the ungodly. And that's where he just continues this theme of praise. And therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When was the last time you read about the wrath of God and, and what we were under in Romans 1 and 2, and then just quickly turned right here to Romans 5, that you have peace with God now. And it's not because of something you did or something you worked out. It's because the offended the offended, the one who could justly judge you and bring wrath upon you has worked it out for you. It's all by grace and it's all for God's glory. And a couple weeks ago we talked about how through this peace, through this justification, how we've been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, and therefore no longer sin is our, is our master, and we're free to live a life that is, is, is full and alive to God. And we, we studied all throughout Romans 6, and so we're going to skip through Romans 6, but I want to read to you this. For the death that he died, Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. In Romans 7, Paul looks at this. He's looking at this grace, and he's looking at his life, and he's looking at everything. And he's saying, we've been freed from sin, but this bondage is still going on. This this fight, I mean, is still going on within our spirit. And he says this which is amazing to me. Once again, reorienting us away from law-keeping. And he says this, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. You see, we've been released from the law, from the slavery of sin, from the death that it brings, which we were held captive. So now that we can belong to another, we can be joined to another, wedded to another, to Christ. And the old cold code of conduct is gone in the new life of the Spirit. Is one that we should live in and bear fruit in. We have been released from this law 
having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter of the law. And now what Daniel read earlier should be our ringing hymn. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. However, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Both our justification and our sanctification brought to us through God, through Christ, through the Spirit into our lives. So we, as Romans 6 tells us, are no longer under the law, but under grace. Over my years here, I've had many people come to me and say, yeah, Jeff, we get the gospel. Let's, can we move on now? We hear it every time you preach. It's just like in the middle of everything. We always end up in Romans somewhere, Jeff. Can we move on to something else? Sure, we'll go to Galatians or something like that. Here's the thing. You can't move on from the gospel. It's not something to be grown up from or mature from and then move on. That's a totally wrong understanding of what we just have skimmed through. Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, writes this. Paul is showing us here that we never get beyond the gospel. In our Christian life, to something more advanced. It's not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the minimum required doctrine for the entrance into the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. We are not made right with God through faith in the gospel and then sanctified and matured through mere moral effort. Faith in the gospel is also the way we grow. And I think it's common for us, for Christians, to think that the gospel's just for my lost friends across the street or around the world. And it is. But sometimes we think once we're saved, we, we grow through our works. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. The gospel helps us understand that God's grace is at work in us for our ultimate good. We read later in Romans 8, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. He might be the firstborn 
among many brethren. And whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul lays out these five stages of God's purpose from the past to future eternity. And we are to live with them embedded on our minds. That even though hardship comes, even though suffering comes, God is at work in our life for our greatest good and that is to conform us to the image of his son. Not to make everything easy. Not to make us the most prosperous and beautiful people in the world. But to conform us into the image of his son. It says that this has been the plan all along. This is what God predestined us for. This is what he has called us for. This is what he has justified us for. And this is what he will glorify us for. To be like Jesus. And you can't miss that. Because if you do, then your circumstances will control you. Your sufferings will control you. Your hardships will control you. And you will not be able to sing this hymn. What then shall we say to these things, these hardships, these sufferings? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written. For their sake, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Are you still with me? I can't see you. Does that not make you want to say amen? Amen. What? How in the world can you read that and your heart not just explode? That is Paul's hymn. That is what's driving his life. He believes this. And he's willing to be put to death and imprisoned and beaten for this very idea. It's all worth it to him because this is what he's convinced of. So my question to you is this. When sufferings and hardships come into your life, what are you saying? What are you singing How deeply is the gospel rooted in your life? 
If you get a phone call today of some bad news, will you be knocked off your kilter? Will you be unable to stand? Will your joy be ripped directly from you? Or will you be able to sing with Paul? Will you be able to say, no, 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 no. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And he's convinced of this. And he takes us on a walk in chapters 9 through 11 that this has always been God's plan. This is his purposes. That, and he points directly to the reason for his great understanding and just the reason why he is rock solid in the fact that nothing can rip him out of the hand of God. And it's because, and he takes the focus in these three chapters of God's sovereignty and internal providence. And he says that in the plan of redemption of man, God, God has always been working through his sovereign choice and his mercy so that God's purpose according to his choice might stand not because of works that we've done because those will die and go away but because of him who calls even as far back he takes us as to Jacob and Esau in verse 16 he says so then it does not depend on the man who wills or a man who runs but on God who has mercy and why would he do this Why would he do it this way? Why would God do it through his choice? So that. He might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. There's a reoccurring theme. Paul is bringing together a people. Paul is sees, I'm sorry, Paul sees God bringing together a people, not Paul. Paul's part of that plan, but God is bringing together a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he is taking these objects, these vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, And he is calling them to himself. And those people that were not called a people, he is making into a people. And it is this gracious and merciful extension of the covenant membership to the nations. To those around the world, to those across the street, to those in your own house. That should fuel and orient our understanding as a body to what our mission really is. You see, Paul took and understood God's mission and saw himself in the midst of that. And so should we. So should we. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek For the same Lord is the Lord of all, abounding in riches from all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then they call upon him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him who they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. So, just so you know, when you walk out that door, you're being sent. That all of us are the priesthood of the believers, taking the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our peop- the people in our families, to the far reaches of the world. We are all part of that. And if you get distracted from that, you've missed the whole deal. You've missed the whole purpose of why you live where you live, why you're here in this church, why we congregate on Sunday to worship and to understand that in a deeper way and then fling everybody out the door to go and work and live in the world. You are the preachers. And that is what you're called to. And Paul concludes these first 11 chapters with this. He sums all of it up. Everything you've just seen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Pastor John Piper writes this, God is absolute reality. The human race is not the ultimate reality nor the ultimate value nor the ultimate measuring rod of what is God or what is true or what is beautiful. God is. God is the one ultimate absolute in existence. Everything else is from him and through him and to him. Paul says, what a great God. Look at all of this. This is the good news of God. And he turns at this very moment to the will of God and how this great and glorious gospel should absolutely ravage us to the point that we actually live differently. Grand concept. Paul writes... I urge you, therefore, therefore, pointing backwards to the last 11 chapters, because of who God is and what he has done, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Therefore, in light of this great and glorious God and his gospel, worship. Worship. Lay your body, all that you have, on the altar. And worship. This is why the book of Romans is so amazing. Because the first 11 chapters teach us why we should be so 
heartfelt in our worship. It reminds us of the gospel. You see, I think we live too close to the truths of the gospel. We're inoculated to them. We're not affected by them. They're up here, and we can transmit them through the Roman road to our neighbor. But I think we would see more people come to Christ if we lived it affectionately. If our affections were so stirred by the gospel that that's just how we lived. It wasn't, oh, I need to do this out of duty. I need to share this track with this person. No, it would be the central piece of our life. It would be not only how we live, but how we long to see other people set free and be at peace with God because they're under the wrath of God. Therefore, live this way. Luther says that the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. You gotta love Luther. You gotta love him. One of the tools that I use to beat this into my own head in our poor interns is called the Gospel Primer. And it is an amazing work that a pastor has just sat down and written out the gospel from the scriptures. And it's in a real poetic form and it just ministers to my soul. And I'm gonna put it on the website in the leader's feature so you can download it in a PDF. But I wanna challenge you to find a way to beat the gospel into your own head before you try to beat it into somebody else's. Because the fact is we need it more than in our head, we need it in our heart before it will ever come out of our hands. And Paul finishes this book of Romans with some main applications and I just want to shoot a few at you and then we'll close. Paul says that you should, in light of the gospel, not think too highly of yourself. You see, the gospel of grace must breed humility in our lives. Pride has no connection to grace. None whatsoever. So where pride creeps up, the gospel leaves. How humble are you? What would the people who live with you in your home and the people in your small group, how would they answer that question? Paul goes on to say that We are all members of one body. All the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The gospel makes us a member of the corporate body of Christ. Members of one another. Look around at yourself. No, seriously. Look around. 
You are members of one another. I don't know if that's encouraging or not for you, but you are. That's the reality. And so, what you say about another in this body of believers, you say about yourself. I about you, but that's been awfully convicting to me this, this week. Do you protect the unity of this body of believers, this expression of Christ's bride with the same passion and veracity that you protect your own reputation, what others say about you? If you understand what you've been saved from and what you've been saved into this family of God, then you should adore her and protect her at all costs. The gospel not only makes us, should make us humble and does make us a part of the corporate body of Christ, the gospel makes us slaves to righteousness and a servant of all. And Paul just says, let love be without hypocrisy. And he gives many examples to the ways that we should do that. So where are you doing that? Where are you serving with your gifts to sacrificially and joyfully serve others? And lastly, Paul says that we are to overcome evil with good. Where are you doing that? Where are you fighting the evil that you come in contact with, with good, and not revenge, not anger? I'm finding that righteous anger lasts very shortly in my life. Um, How do you do that? How do you do that well? How do you live for the glory of the gospel under such pressure? You do it by reminding yourself daily, having your nose in the book of Romans and reminding yourself of this great and glorious God who for his own glory justified us by grace and that is applied to us by faith. When was the last time you were gripped by that in such a way that it changed your daily agenda? How you walk through the day. Well, I pray that today, as we've walked through the book of Romans, that it's a little more salty for you. You have a little more flavor to it. That it has a little bite to your life. But whatever 
God is speaking to you today, I pray that we would understand the gracious and merciful God that has come into the world to save us from our sin and our judgment. And that should radically change the way we live. If there are areas of your life that are broken and that's not happening, we would love to pray with you today. Come lay it at the feet of the cross. Pray that God would have his way in your life and that you would experience the peace that comes through the gospel. And if you're still at odds with God, I pray that you would beg him to give you faith that this may be your story and that you could sing the hymn in Romans 8 with Paul. That there is now no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we've covered a lot today. I pray that you would clarify things, that you would make them applicable to us. God, I pray that we would ask deep questions of our life to ask whether or not that the gospel actually has effect on us that we understand it with clarity that we've been gripped by it in such a way that we would live as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to you God we attest today that everything is from you and through you and back to you. May you have all the glory. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.